Welcome to Awaken to Grace. On today's broadcast, we have a sermon called God Meant It for Good. And as we conclude this great series on Joseph called Providence, the life of Joseph, we're going to see that all throughout the 110 years of Joseph's life, everything that happened to him, every twist, every turn, ultimately, God meant it for good. And you know what? The same story is true of your life as well as my life. Everything that happens to us as Christ followers, Romans 8.28 says, God has the ability to take all things, the good things, the bad things, even the tragic things. God has the ability to work all things together for our good. And that's the title of today's sermon, God Meant It for Good. I know it's going to build your faith as you listen today. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 45. Oh, I can't wait to share some wonderful principles with you today. I'm calling today, I'm calling today, God meant it for good. If you follow our ministry, you probably know that I'm blind. If you're a guest and perhaps you uh, have never met me or you don't know us, uh, I am a blind pastor as of a year ago, and so... Um, and so it works out really nice that when I have to preach hard subjects, I can't see people's faces. So it actually works really nice. And uh, I tell people now, they say, well, how do you handle it? And I say, well, I'm like a Roomba vacuum cleaner. I just bump into things, I rescan, and then I go a different way, right? But God, God has given me phenomenal, sustaining grace through this season of blindness. And, 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 I'll just, and I'll just tell you, and, I, and I'll tell you as transparent and as honestly as I can tell you, I am happier today than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm happier today in my family life. I'm happier in my career in pastoring. I'm happier in the level of ministry we're in. I'm happier in my walk with the Lord than I have ever been in any time or any season of my entire life. And it is purely the rich and sustaining grace of God that makes that possible. Amen? And I experience it every single day of my life. Joseph has been very personal to me. When I preached the sermon the king's prison. What a personal sermon that was to me. When I preached the sermon, the making of a godly man, oh, how personal it was to me. And today as I share with you some thoughts concerning God meant it for good, I'm sharing personally, amen? So I hope that you have walked away with some great truths that are changing your life the way my life is being changed by the study of Joseph. So let's begin in chapter 45. When you and I left Joseph last week, <clears throat> he had asked all the Egyptians to leave the room. And it was just his 11 brothers and him. And there Joseph revealed himself in the first uh, one, two, three, four verses of chapter 45. 
He reveals himself, and the Bible tells us that his brothers were dismayed. If you remember last week, we said that word dismayed was the same word that Adam and Eve experienced when they stood before God naked and ashamed. And it literally means to fear, to shake, and to tremble. And that's how afraid they were. And Joseph offering rich grace and forgiveness says, please come near to me. And his brothers come near and he kisses them and hugs them and forgives them. And it's just a, it's some of the most beautiful scripture in all of the Bible. The Bible says that they talked for a while. Can you imagine that conversation? Well, where we pick up today is going to be in verse 16 of chapter 45. And I want you to notice something. (coughs) Excuse me. If we're not careful and we just read through the text too quickly, I'm afraid that we miss this incredible principle. And this is one of the first things I want us to note as we conclude the series today. The Bible says that when Pharaoh learned about Joseph and his brothers, the Bible says it pleased the house of Pharaoh. Now, I find this very important, brothers and sisters, because let me tell you the principle that I see here. When Joseph chose to forgive, everyone understood the power that he had. Everyone understood that he could do anything he wanted because he was number two in the land. And he would have been justified in punishing his brothers. He would have been justified in causing them to suffer. But instead, what he did, he offered them forgiveness. And the Bible says that when Pharaoh heard of it, when the house of Pharaoh heard, when Egypt heard of the forgiveness that Joseph extended, Pharaoh was pleased. In other words, it impacted them. It made a difference in them. Do you know what I see here, my friends? I see that when it comes to my life and your life, let me tell you who's watching. Let me tell you who's paying attention to your life and whether or not you'll offer grace to people, whether or not you'll extend forgiveness to people in your life who they don't deserve it, whether or not you'll forgive those from your past that it's not a matter of do they deserve it or not. It's a matter of let grace be grace, as we said last week. And do you know what happens when you and I extend the grace that Joseph extended? A dying and a lost world pays attention. And a world that is lost and on its way to hell. Listen, it's watching your life and they're watching my life. And they're waiting to see what you and I will do. And the forgiveness or the unforgiveness that we show is going to impact them. How is it that Joseph, probably being the only God-fearing Hebrew, probably in the land of Egypt, at least in the house of Pharaoh, and Joseph who says, I worship the one, the true, the living God, what would it have said if he had not have forgave? What would it have said? But instead, he offered grace and he extended grace mercy, and he gave forgiveness. And what a testimony that it was to Pharaoh's household. Who's watching you? Who's paying attention to what you say? Who's paying attention to how you deal and how you handle with those who have mistreated you or not handled you right? No, my friends, Joseph 
was so shaped and so molded by God. As we've said throughout the course of the series, he was looking ahead. He had no interest in looking in the rearview mirror. He was looking ahead, and grace put you looking ahead. And for those of you that you struggle and you live in the past and people have truly hurt you. And as I said last week, I don't even pretend to understand some of the hurts that people who are listening have experienced. I know, I I don't pretend that I understand how you feel. What I'm sharing with you is God gives us the ability through his grace, by his Holy Spirit, to forgive. And the point for this week is when you do choose to forgive, a lost world pays attention. And it is a testimony to the grace that God has offered in your own life. So, Pharaoh notices, and all the house of Pharaoh notices, and Now everybody knows Joseph's story, and they know Joseph's family and Joseph's brothers. Well, what Joseph tells his brothers is, I want you to go up to Canaan. I want you to get my father, and I want you to bring him down. And he not only sends them with some grain and enough provisions for the journey, but listen to what the Bible says. He sends wagons, and he sends 10 male donkeys loaded with food, and he sends 10 female donkeys loaded with food. I mean, we're talking about a caravan headed up to Canaan. And the Bible says that at the end of chapter 45, the brothers get ready and they go on and and, uh, Joseph is with them as he sees them out of Egypt. And do you know what Joseph says to his brothers? Again, there's a phrase here that's so subtle, it's so easy to miss. But there's a huge principle that I want to show you throughout the rest of our text today. Joseph says something to his brothers. Now, think about it. They've had a great time of reconciliation. They've had an incredible time of experiencing grace and forgiveness. And and I just can't imagine all the hugs and all the tears and all the lost memories and all the stories shared. And right before they leave Egypt, do you know what Joseph tells his brothers? Do not quarrel on the journey. I love that phrase. (laughs) Because do you know what it says to me? Joseph understood that even though he had given grace to his family, even though they had experienced his forgiveness, human nature is still human nature. And the point that I'm going to make throughout the rest of the, of the sermon today that I'm going to show you in a couple more incidences with his brothers Just because you forgive someone, just because you offer grace to someone, doesn't mean they're not going to revert back to how they were. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to stay in a place of grace? Have you ever offered forgiveness to someone only for them to go back and act the way they acted before? You ever shown grace to someone and then they went right back to how they were before? Joseph was wise enough to know that his brothers very well could revert back. And so he admonishes them, he instructs them, he goes, don't quarrel on the journey. Oh, I love that, I love that. Good sibling rivalry, right? So here they go home. The Bible says that they 
go to their father and they tell their father that Joseph is alive. And the Bible says Jacob's heart grew numb. He didn't believe them. And when he came outside and he saw the wagons and he saw the male donkeys and the female donkeys and all the goods of Egypt, the Bible says his spirit revived. Faith came back into the old patriarch's heart. And he finds out Joseph, his son, is not only alive, he's the number two in all of Egypt. He's prime minister of Egypt. Now, there's something the Bible doesn't tell us. There's a gap between chapter 45 and 46. And I'll just be honest with you. When I get to heaven, I've got a research project that I'm wanting to do. I want to go to to the brothers and to Jacob, and, and I want to know something. What was the conversation like when Jacob said, how is Joseph still alive? What happened to him? The brothers can't lie about it because within a matter of weeks, Jacob's going to be face to face with Joseph. They have to come clean. They have to tell their father the truth. What do you think that conversation was like? Can you even imagine it? I can't wait to get to heaven and, and just, just I, I want to know. Tell me the story. So Jacob now has to make a choice. Joseph wants him to come down to Egypt to live. Joseph wants him to leave what is familiar for what is unfamiliar. And now the old patriarch has to make a decision. Now say amen if you're with me this morning. Jacob had to make a decision, and there's something that I see here, and, 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 and listen, this is so important to me because I've said a lot of bad things about Jacob through this series, haven't I? I mean, we've traced many of his mistakes. You remember the name Jacob actually means trickster, deceiver. And Jacob had tremendous falls, even though he is a patriarch, and even though it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Jacob was deeply flawed. And we see in his younger past, I mean, look how he deceived his father. Look how he deceived his brother. Look at the carnage that he created. He married Leah and didn't love Leah. And he met the ultimate deceiver, Laban. And and we went through all that history. and, And then not only was that in his past, but when God gave him his family, we saw all the mistakes that Jacob made. He allowed hatred and he allowed jealousy within his children and within his home. He allowed it. He allowed the great sin of Reuben to take place. He allowed his sons to do the massacre that happened at Shechem over the raping of his daughter Dinah. And he allowed it all. He was a passive father. He had favoritism in his home that absolutely ruined his family. He loved Benjamin and Joseph more than his other sons. Jacob made fatal flaws when it came to his family. And then last week we even showed that that, that, that even when, when... The brothers come home and they leave Simeon because he's in prison in Egypt. We saw instead of faith... Jacob was fatalistic, and he goes, Joseph is dead, and Simeon is dead, and I'm bereaved of my children, and there was zero faith in his heart. 
And Jacob just mistake after mistake after mistake. But you know what the beautiful part about Jacob is? Is that God redeems sinners. Jacob was flawed up one side and down the other. And yet God said, I'm going to change your name from Jacob and I'm going to call you Israel, my beloved. And last week we mentioned how unbelievable it is that Jacob who wrestled God and Jacob who had visions of angels ascending and descending and yet he doesn't have faith to trust God? Well, that changes in chapter 46. In chapter 46, Jacob has a decision to make. Am I going to go down and live in Egypt or am I going to remain in Canaan? Now, you have to understand at this point, Jacob is no spring chicken. He is 130 years old. How would you like to move out of your home and out of your land and out of your culture being 130 years old? Would that sound fun to you? 130 years old. And now Jacob, I think how easy it would have been for Jacob to have said, you know, Joseph is prime minister of Egypt. I bet he gets some significant vacation time. Why don't, Jake, why don't Joseph come and see me? No. I don't think it was an easy thing for the patriarch to move. Let me tell you why. As you read chapter 46, Jacob does leave. He leaves what's familiar, Canaan, to go south to what's unfamiliar, Egypt. But he builds an altar on his way down to the Lord, and he worships the Lord, and the Lord appears to him in the middle of the night. And do you know what the Lord tells him? This is so beautiful. The Lord tells him, Jacob, go to Egypt, and I will be with you. And then he says something very special, something very comforting. He says, and the hand of Joseph will close your eyes. In other words, Joseph will be by you when you die. He's giving him a word of comfort, a word of promise. And he said, you'll be brought back up to the land of Canaan. Do you know what the point of this is, church? When Jacob knew that God was in it, when God appeared to him and said, go to Egypt and I will be with you. As flawed as the patriarch was, as stubborn as the man was, as fatalistic as the man was, as many huge mistakes in his character as what the man had, he had an attitude of if God's not in it, I'm not going to do it. And I love that about him. And when God gave him the assurance, when God said, I know this is hard, I know it's not easy, you're leaving what is so familiar for what's so unfamiliar, but listen, Jacob, I'm in it, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to go with you. Then the man, he moved with faith. Amen? What about your life? What about my life? See, I, I like everything at my fingertips, <laughs> especially now that I've lost my eyesight. I love for everything to be right at my fingertips. If I have to go looking for something, I get in a bad mood, right? My kids move something or, you know, something's misplaced. <sighs> I like for everything to just be in its place. I like for nothing to be in my pathway while I walk, right? 
My kids think it's really funny when there are things in my pathway and they prank me. (sighs) But I don't like the unfamiliar, especially now that I've lost sight. I can't imagine being 130 years old and being comfortable and God asking me to move. But what about your life? Is God calling you to something different? Is God asking you to start or to be involved in something that makes you uncomfortable? Here's my question today. Are you willing to leave what is familiar? What has been Canaan to you? Are you willing to follow God? Some of you, the Lord wants you serving in a specific ministry. Some of you, God wants you engaged in kingdom work, but it's unfamiliar to you. Some of you, you should be serving, and you can fill in the blank because there's all kinds of different places to serve. Do you know in this church, do you know we have 21 ministry teams? 21 ministry teams. And you should be plugged in. You should be serving. But do you know why so many of us don't? Because it's uncomfortable. Right? There may be some of you that God's speaking to you about a career change. God is prompting you toward a career change. But you're resisting. Why? Because it's not comfortable. Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Amos? It says, woe unto them that are at ease. In Zion. Now, come on, say amen if you're with me right now. It's getting uncomfortable, isn't it? But that's the point. Woe unto those that are at ease in Zion. One of the measurements that I try to do in my own life and in this church is this question Are we comfortable? Because when we start getting comfortable, odds are we're not following Christ the way we ought to be. Would you agree with that? So, are you comfortable? Are you you in that, uh, is God calling you out of familiarity into the place that's unfamiliar? Are you too comfortable? Listen, the Lord told me something one time concerning the church. We had just started, we had just started, well, I, I say just started, we were probably a couple years into it. And, um, And let me tell you, we had nothing when we started. So many of you, you've come to the church in the last several years, but let me tell you, (laughs) we had less than nothing. I went to buy offering plates at Lifeway, and we could not afford offering plates. Are you with me? They were $56 an offering plate. I don't know why I couldn't think we could just buy one. I thought you had to have four. I don't know what I was thinking. But every church I'd ever been in always had at least four, if not more than that. And 56 a pop. And we couldn't even afford that. We didn't have any musicians. We didn't have any sound. We didn't have. We had nothing. We had nothing when we started. And no money and no financial backing. And and so, you know, we start and the Lord helps us and God is... God is, and he he truly helps us. I mean, God just, it's like he put us in a little incubator and just said, okay, you're going to (laughs) grow. And the Lord helped us. 
Well, a couple of years passed, and one day I'm praying for his finances, and I'm asking the Lord to help us financially. And the Lord tells me something that I'll never, I've never forgotten all these years. I've never forgotten. And now today, the Lord has blessed us greatly. We're able to do some significant ministry, some significant missions, significant outreach. And God has blessed us and given us the ability to do it. Well, listen to what God told me. God said, I was praying for finances. And God said, just clear as a bell in my heart. He said, you'll never have enough money, Chad. Oh, that struck me. I'm talking about being comfortable. I'm talking about familiarity. The Lord said, you'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough. Well, that bothered me because, you know, I've grown up, uh, you know, being told God's more than enough. God's El Shaddai. He's more than enough. What do you mean, God? We're never going to have enough. That don't make sense. The Bible says, I'll meet your needs according to the riches and glory by Christ. And I'm sitting here telling the Lord that scripture and saying, that, no, you said you'll meet all my needs, but you're telling me I'll never have enough. I don't understand. And the Lord let me just sit on it for a while. You ever, you ever sometimes God just likes you to... I don't think God likes it when we're like microwaves. He likes it when we're like crock pots. Just simmer. Just sit and just simmer and just wait on the Lord. And then the Lord told me what he meant. The Lord said, about two weeks later, the Lord said, if you ever have enough money as a church, if you ever have enough money, you've stopped doing what I've called you to do because you should always be reaching for the next level, the next step. Don't ever get comfortable because you know what happens when we get comfortable? We get complacent, complacent, and the gospel cannot get complacent. Amen? And so as a church, we'll ask these questions. As a church, We'll ask the question, are we comfortable? Are we, are we too comfortable? Or are we trusting God and reaching out and exercising our faith for what is next? Are you willing to leave what's familiar for what's unfamiliar? So they make their trek down to Egypt. In chapter 47, Jacob meets his father after more than 20 years separation. Can you imagine that reunion? The Bible says that that Joseph fell on the neck of Jacob and Jacob fell on the neck of Joseph and they wept for a long time. Could you imagine seeing that in person? What a reunion. What a reunion that must have been. Friends, many of us are gonna have great reunions one day when we reach heaven. I went and picked up a pastor friend of mine from Uganda some years ago at the Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. His flight got significantly delayed, and where it was an international uh, uh, port, I had to sit there for two, three hours waiting on my brother. But it was such a joy because I watched all these families when they would enter out of customs and come through the security gate and their loved ones were waiting. 
I watched many great reunions that day, and I thought, oh, what is heaven going to be? And they wept for a long time. Well, now we're going to come to the part where Joseph's brothers, their, their nature is going to begin to revert back. He, he takes his brothers and he takes his father to Goshen, which was the best of the land of Egypt. And he takes them before Pharaoh. The dialogue between Jacob and Pharaoh is very interesting, and you should read it on your own, and it's quite fascinating. Jacob actually blesses Pharaoh twice. But then when he takes his brothers before Pharaoh, they mess it up. He takes five of his 11 brothers before Pharaoh, and he tells them, he preps them. He says, when Pharaoh asks you what you do for a living, you are to say, we take care of herds. You're not to say shepherds because the occupation of a shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. You're to say we care for herds, not shepherd. I'm sure he went over it many times with them. Well, these five knuckleheads get in front of Pharaoh. And no doubt, these are country boys. And no doubt, they're nervous, right, being in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says... What is your occupation? And guess what those knuckleheads say? We're shepherds. I bet Joseph went, oh. (laughs) But they're going to disappoint Joseph in a much greater way. Jacob ends up spending, chapter 48, Jacob spends 17 years in the land of Egypt. He's now 100 47 years old. How many of you feel like you're 147 years old? He's 147. And the time to pass is drawing near. Well, you remember what the Lord told? Remember what the Lord told Jacob? Joseph is going to close your eyes. Listen, that's a word of comfort. You know, many of you know my father passed away to be three years this January. Do you know what the Lord told me when my dad passed? Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. And the Lord told me, Chad, if your dad's death is precious in my eyes, it will become precious in your eyes. And it has, amen? Now I can say, To live is Christ. To die is gain. Do you know what the Bible says when Jacob died? That he was gathered to his people. One day, when you and I breathe our last, those of you who are born again and we're God's people, we're going to be gathered to our people. Amen? And what a day that will be. The time drew near for Jacob, that appointed time. And he blesses his children, he blesses his sons, he blesses even Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Joseph. Jacob passes. Well, the Bible goes into great detail in chapters 48 and 49. It tells all the burial of of Jacob and how extensive it is. But listen to what the brothers did. And you can understand this. The brothers feared that Jacob's forgiveness was fake, that it was a front for their father. 
But once the old patriarch is dead, will Joseph take out revenge? And do you know what his brothers did? Once again, they they, they conspired. Once again, they lied. Once again, they deceived. They sent word to Joseph and said, Our father has asked upon his death that you forgive our transgressions. Now, you want to see what kind of man that Joseph really and truly was? You know what the Bible records that he did? The Bible says he wept and he called for them. It broke his heart. And when he brought his brothers before him, now think about this. He has shown them great grace. He's not only given them grace, he's giving them daily provisions for their entire families. He's done nothing but lavish grace upon them. And now they're lying again? And now they're deceiving again? How long would it take you to boot them out? How long would it, I mean, would that not just resurface all those old feelings of their conspiring against you? Would you trust them again? No, Joseph was greater than that. Joseph brought his brothers in, and he brought them close to him. And and listen, listen to what the difference. Do you remember when his brothers stood before him the first time in Genesis 40? Do you remember how he treated his brothers? He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And the Bible says he spoke harshly to them. You remember that? Do you see what he says in chapter 50, verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Do you see what Joseph, it says, he spoke kindly to them. Praise God. Here's my point today, church. The people that you forgive, they don't always stay forgiven. Can you stay in a place of grace? Can you lavish grace upon them? That even when they revert back to how they were, you still assure them of your grace for them and God's grace for them? Or do you just write them off? Because that's what many of us would do. But no, he didn't do that. So this is where I close today. This is what I want you to really go home with today. If you and I are to stay people of God that always extend grace, always give forgiveness, how do we stay in that place? There's only one way to do it. There's only one way. And it's chapter 50, verse 20. Look at what Joseph tells his brothers. You meant it for harm. But God meant it for good. Amen. Do you know what Joseph had the ability to do? He looked past his brothers. He looked past their humanity. He looked past their deceit, past their sinfulness. And Joseph looked directly to the sovereign hand of God. Do you have that ability in your life? Are you looking to God's sovereignty? Because the fact is, and I'm going to tell you something, and those of you who you've experienced significant hurt, I want you to hear me because this will change your life. And you may not believe me at first, but believe the word of God. No person can ruin your life. No person can. 
You say, Chad, I was abused. I was molested. I was neglected. I was used. I was walked out on. I'm not, I'm not pretending to understand that. Here's what I'm telling you. Because God has the ability to bless you in spite of everyone. No one can ruin your life. His brothers didn't ruin Joseph's life. Mrs. Potiphar didn't ruin Joseph's life. The cupbearer didn't ruin Joseph's life. In spite of every one of those wicked, evil people, God blessed him in spite of every single one of them. Amen? And God will do the same in you. When Jacob blessed his sons in chapter 49. Do you know what Jacob said of Joseph? Oh, hear me right now. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You know what Jacob says of Joseph? He shall be a fruitful vine. Extending, growing over the city walls. You know why, my friends? Because he forgave. The same will be true of your life. God will make you a fruitful vine. You know how I know that? John chapter 15. God will bear fruit out of your life. Fruit will abound and fruit will abound. And it won't just be normal fruit. It'll be eternal fruit. Fruit that remains. Fruit that will be eternal. And God will do it in your life. If you forgive. The story of Joseph is a story of forgiveness because Joseph is a type of Christ. And what God wants to do in you, hear me, hear me. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. And if you have tasted and experienced the rich forgiveness of Jesus in here, you should be extending it here. That's what Joseph did. And that's what you can do by the power of God. Now you say, Chad, I've done that and it came back and it bit me. Well, it bit Joseph too. <laughs> say, Chad, it came back and it... I don't know if I could do it again. Friends, Joseph did it again. And you know how? He saw the sovereign hand of God in his life. Do you see God's sovereignty in yours? You will if you look. We've entitled the series Providence because in every twist, in every turn, in every chapter is the providence of God. And I know no greater theme of God's providence than chapter 50, verse 20. You meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Amen? Now, last thing I'll say to you. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he became prime minister. At the age of 30... 
he could exact he he could exercise any revenge that he wanted. But no, he forgave. And listen, Joseph lived another 80 years. At the end of the chapter, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph dies at age 110. And listen, yes, he had 17, 20 years of hardship, but the next 80 were extraordinarily blessed. The next rest of your life will be blessed of the Lord. You'll be a fruitful vine if you truly learn how to forgive. Let's bow our heads today. God, I thank you for the story of Joseph. It's, it's changed my life. It really has. I've learned your desire to make me into a godly man, just as you did Joseph. I've learned how to seat people at the table of grace, just as Joseph did his brothers. I've learned how to continue extending grace, even when people let me down, and even when it comes back to bite me, as it did Joseph. How do we do all this? We recognize your sovereignty in our lives. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, perhaps you weren't here last week and you didn't hear a lot about the forgiveness part. Maybe there's someone in your life right now today you need to forgive. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe there's someone that you've been harboring and you've been You've let a root of bitterness grow so deep inside you, only Christ can sever it. Let him do that today. If you need to come to the altar, you can pray today. If you want to pray there at your seat or kneel at your seat, whatever you need to do. But don't close this series on Joseph and hold a grudge. Don't close this series on Joseph and keep resentment. It's not worth it, my friend. It's not worth it. You've heard the old saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it affects the other person. It won't. Forgive. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and some are choosing right now, are they going to forgive? Are they going to let go? Let me tell you the one of the most incredible transformations I've ever seen. A young family began attending the church a few years ago, and they still go here. As a matter of fact, they very well may be here this morning because they come weekly, and they're probably here this morning. I won't certainly would never say their name, but but let me tell you, this young man came to me, and he said, Chad, I'm feeling like the Lord wants me to forgive my dad, and and he shared a little bit about his dad and his past, and all this and that. And he asked me, he said, do you really think I have to forgive him? Even if he didn't deserve it, do you think I have to? I said, brother, you have to. You have to. You have to. And God will give you grace to do it. Well, we left that day and he come back the next week and we sat down back in the office together and uh, (laughs) he said, Chad, he said, uh, I did it. I forgave my dad. I said, praise God. Amen. Oh, it's such victory. Hallelujah. 
I said, how did your dad respond? Do you know what the brother didn't tell me? He said, my dad died a few years ago. He said, I went to his grave and I forgave him at his grave. <sighs> Hallelujah. What victory, amen? I don't care if the person is deceased. Forgive it and move on in the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you for every principle, everything we've learned. We thank you for the ugly side of Jacob that may perhaps help us avoid disaster, may help us, <coughs> may prevent enormous parenting mistakes. Thank you, God, that you recorded it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, for our benefit. Let us take it to heart. Let it change our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done in this series. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen.